All right, good morning. If you have a Bible, would love for you to go ahead and pick it up and open it with me to Genesis chapter 1. And this morning we're going to be focusing on verses 26 through 29, so you can go ahead and make your way there. Like Mike said last week, if you are new to Christianity or you are new to reading the Bible, you are here at a perfect time because we are starting at the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. So if you go to page 1, you'll you'll be at the right place. That's where we're going to start out this morning. Over the next couple months, we are going to be walking through the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis, which in essence tells us everything we need to know about the beginning of human history. Where did we come from? It's one of the most significant questions that, that you need to answer for yourself. Where did you come from? Because whether you realize it or not, your identity, much of who you are, is, is shaped by where you come from. I think that's why here in San Francisco, when you meet somebody new, one of the first questions we often ask one another is what? Where are you from? When I say Arkansas, I get a look of, well, that makes a lot of sense. And so it helps shape, it gives a background for where we've come from, but it also helps explain why we are here. When that question goes unanswered, oftentimes people will walk through life in confusion, wondering what is the purpose for my life? What is the, how is there meaning to any of this? What is my destiny? Uh, one German theologian said it this way. He said, history is in many ways like a good play. When going to a play, one generally asks certain questions, such as, who wrote the play? Who is the hero? Who is the villain? And what is the plot? Upon answering these questions, we are able to make sense of and enter into the story in a meaningful way. Well, likewise, each day people are born onto the stage of human history, where they will say their lines and they will act out their parts without any concept of who the author of life truly is. What great cosmic struggle they find themselves in and how they can relate to the plot of which they are a part. Apart from revelation of God, we are left with meaningless lives. Now, Here's the thing, I don't want that statement to be true of any of you in this room. There is no reason for any of you to walk through this life in confusion, wondering uh, what is my purpose, what is, where am I going. There is no reason because the beginning of the book of Genesis tells us that we were created by God. That we are destined to be with God again. And that here in the middle we were designed for a relationship with Him, accomplishing His purposes. The book of Genesis tells us about our beginnings. And so this morning, I want to answer this crucial question that the very first chapter of the book of of the Bible speaks to, and it's this question, who am I? Who am I? What is my identity? What identity does God give me at the creation of the world? This morning, I want to highlight six truths that we see in this one chapter, again, focusing primarily on verses 26 through 29. The first truth about who you are, who I am, is foundational. It's this. I am created by God. I am created by God. Like everything else in all of the universe, from the smallest particle to the most expansive galaxy, we were created by God. Which means this, that the world is not an accident. Uh, Genesis 1, verse 1 says what? It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This was no coincidence. Out of nothing, God intentionally and with great purpose, it said, 
created all things, the heavens and the earth. You then go down and you read verses 3 through 23, the, the days of creation, and there's this continual repetition that takes place where all that God does is speak. He speaks through the words of his mouth. He speaks things into existence. He brings order. He says, let there be light. And what happens? There was light. He says, let there be an expanse. And there was an expanse. Let the waters be gathered together. The waters are gathered together. Let, there be, uh, let the earth sprout vegetation. And the earth sprouts vegetation. Let there be animals that swarm in the seas and animals that fly in the air. And there it says, and it was so. God creates all things, and in these days of creation, you see him bring order so that the earth will function and flourish as he intended it to do. This all leads up to day six, where after creation of of land animals, it says these words, verse 26. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Now I realize that as we approach a text like Genesis 1 about the creation of the world, uh, there are likely many of you in this room with lots of questions. Uh, with the rise of, of modern science, we, we want to know, is the earth old or is it new? Are these days of creation literal 24-hour days or they, do they stand for lengthier periods of time? Where are the dinosaurs? Uh, was there a gap between verse 1 and verse 3 that can then account for the billions of years that, that geology begins to reveal through science? We have lots of questions. Well, the good news for all of you who have those questions is that there are loads and loads of material from a Christian perspective that can give a Christian answer to many of those questions. There's much speculation. There's much research out there that that approaches all of these topics. But this morning, that's not my intention. I'm not going to seek to answer all those questions, although it would be a fun growth course to do here in the near future. So that may be something we, we can and should do. But my point here is this. The Bible is not primarily written with the intention of being a scientific textbook. It's not. The Bible is is written to be a theological narrative that reveals to each one of you in this room the God who created you. It's about God. So as you read the book of Genesis, and I would encourage you to read along with us during this next month. Read chapter 1, read chapter 2, read chapter 3, all the way through chapter 11. But as you do so, what you're going to begin to notice is that the book of Genesis is much more concerned with the questions of who created and why he created than when he created. Okay, We as Christians can can have loving debates over when God created, but the one thing that we must stand firm on, no matter if it aligns with the modern sciences or not, is this. God created the heavens and the earth. And he created you. None of this was an accident. It was not a coincidence. No matter what science may say, you are not an accident. God created each one of you with purpose and intent. And that's why the psalmist can say what he does in Psalm 139. It's a prayer. And he prays this prayer to God. He says, for you, God, formed my inward parts. 
You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Friend, do you realize that this is true of you? You were intricately woven by a God of great design. You were created by God. That's our first point. But out of that one statement flows a number of other truths about who you are. If you are created, if it is true that God purposely made us with design and with intent, it leads us to see a few other things. The second one is this. I am distinct. Not only am I created by God, but I am distinct. There are two key distinctions that we see about humanity in this text. The first distinction that's made is the fact that, that, that we are created means, by definition, that we are not God. It's an important distinction for you to make about yourself. To realize, I am not God. I don't have time and power at my hands. I am not all-knowing. The world, as much as I wish it did, it does not revolve around me. We are not capable of being God. While we are made in his likeness, while we are made in his image, there is a clear distinction between us who are created and him who is the creator. We are not God. The problem is that each one of us has a struggle, though, in our hearts. While I don't think I, if I ask the question, how many of you in this room are God? I don't think any of you would raise your hand. Maybe one of you, I don't know. I don't think you'd raise your hand, but our hearts, because of sin, they convince us that at the very least, we are worthy to be our own God. That we can live our lives apart from the knowledge of how God intended us to be. The knowledge of God's commands, the, the pres his presence in our life, that we can do it all without him. We can be our own God and do whatever we choose without any accountability. We ignore God and we end up living very self-focused, self-glorifying, self-promoting lives. The news of this scripture is very clear. There's a distinction. Each one of you in this room, no matter how gifted you are, you make a lousy God. You are not worthy to be God. And the same can be said of any other created thing. I love how it lays it out in this text that God created the, the sun and the moon and God created the stars, God created the living creatures. Because when this, this text was originally read, the first readers, they lived in a culture that worshipped all of those created things. They worshipped the sun. They worshipped the sea. They worshipped animals. They, they worshipped other individuals, other people. They lifted them up as gods, as deities. But at the very beginning, the book of Genesis says, look, all of these other things in creation, including you, were created. You are not the creator. There's only one who is worthy of worship, and it's none of us, and it's no other created thing. When we give our worship to any created thing in this life, we are not living as God has intended us to live. We only find ourselves as we worship the one true living God. So that's the first distinction. I am not God. There's another distinction in here, and it's between us and the rest of creation. Well, when you look at the text, you'll find that there's a phrase that keeps coming up when it talks about God's creation of other living creatures. And it says this, according to its kind. So if you would, look with me, verse 12. It says, the earth 
brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their kind, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. Go down to verse 21. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to its kind, and every winged bird according to its kind. Finally, land animals, verse 24. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. So you see this same thing happen with each of the other living creatures, but then when you get to verse 26, it's entirely different, isn't it? Because what does it say about humanity? It says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. This is what theologians throughout the years have called the Imago Dei. This belief that there is something that, that men and women share that separates them from the rest of all creation. I love when you read the end of every other day, what does God say? He looks at his creation, he says, it is good. But on the end of day six, when he looks at man and woman made in his image, what does he say? This is very good. We are made in the image of God. We are image bearers. I hope I don't have to explain this one too much, but you and I are different than animals. I hope you see that when you look at your pet. I hope that you see there is something that separates me and that animal. I'm not the same. We as humanity, we have the ability to think rationally, or at least the ability to try to think rationally. Sometimes we don't always live up to that one very well. We have the ability to communicate language. We have the ability to to feel and express love. We are different than animals. And yet, it's so much more, this image of God, so much more than things we can do. God says, this is who you are. You have my imprint. You are an image bearer of the living God. Which means this, as much as I appreciate the redwood trees as they reach into the sky... As much as I love dogs and I even tolerate cats, as much as that happens, all of those created things are nothing like you and I. We are separate. We are different than the rest of God's creation. We are distinct in the midst of God's creation. Well, that distinction leads to our third thing. This distinction, this being an image bearer, means this. I am valuable. I'm valuable. Church family, I'm just telling you, this is one that we have to get right as the church, living in this culture that is broken by sin. The Bible teaches that every single human being has dignity and worth and value, not because they're rich, not because they have a certain color of skin, not because they are a citizen of one country in opposition to another country, Not because they're specifically gifted in some area of life. No, the Bible says every life is valuable. Every life has worth because it is designed and created by a God of immense worth. We are valuable because God's imprint is on us. Every life has value. It's always interesting for me to hear people in our culture talk a lot about the the evils and the wickedness of racism and the evils and the wickedness of nationalism and how every, every human has dignity. Do you realize that apart from this idea, this truth that God created humanity, there is no reason to assign dignity and worth to humans? There's not. 
You look at it, neither secularism nor scientific reasoning can ascribe humans worth or dignity. If we're left to chance, if we're just a product of, of some evolutionary process, if our being here is an accident, there is no human worth. That's why Oliver Wendell Holmes, the famous U.S. Chief Justice, said these words, and I've told them to you before. He said, scientifically, I see no reason for attributing to a man a significance different in kind from that which belongs to a baboon or a grain of sand. You see, there is no view of humanity other than the Christian view of humanity that provides a basis for protecting against the wickedness and evil of racism and nationalism, ascribing worth to every human. Here at First SF, we believe every life, born and unborn, young and old, healthy and sick, rich and poor, friend and enemy, legal citizen and illegal alien, is absolutely equally made in the presence of our, in, in, in the image of our God. And we as a church need to treat people in this way. I wonder in this coming year, I know many of you have made resolutions. What if you made the resolution to treat every single person you come across, your friend, your enemy, as if they are an image bearer of the living God, made with great worth and value? How would that impact the way that you look at the person on the street? Uh, how would that impact the way that you treat the teenager that, that has autism? How would you treat the, the senior adult who's living in the nursing home without family? If each person has dignity and worth and value, this is what our calling is in this life. It's true of every other person and it's true of you. You are valuable because you're made in God's image. But not only are we valuable, number four, I am responsible. That we are made in God's image comes with a significant purpose and responsibility. We talked about this in a sermon series last year, but, but the fact that we are made in the image of God means that we are created to both reflect and represent God to all the rest of creation. I want you to think about it this way. We're called to reflect God. Um, uh, today, we know what George Washington looks like. Why? Because centuries ago, uh, very talented artists painted faithful, accurate reflections of George Washington. Today, when we go to those paintings, we can see that reflection, and today we can know what he's like because of that reflection. Well, that's what God says about us. He says humanity has been, has been created to continually reflect my glory. We've been created to reflect his love and his beauty and his holiness and his character. He said, I've made men and women to be like a mirror that reflect me to the rest of my creation. It's an immense thought that in the way that we treat one another, in the way that we act, in the way that we speak, we are called to reflect this God and the character of the God that created us. But not only that, we're also called to represent him. Uh, like the, in the old times, there would be kings and they'd set up uh, statues to represent their rule and reign of, of their distant lands. Well, that's what we are. We're representatives of God in the way that we live. We're to represent his rule. That's why he says what he does in verse 28. He says, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. What that means is we are designed, our purpose is to exercise God's rule here on this earth. 
Now, historically, we've, we've gone off stray uh, away from the right path in two different directions. On the one hand, when we read that, some people read, I have dominion, and we think, well, we can do whatever we want to creation. I can kind of trample over creation for whatever selfish need that I think is needed, and we can just do whatever we want with creation. Friends, that's not what this text is saying. When it says have dominion over creation, we have to remember this one important thought. This world is not ours. None of you in this room own anything. This world is God's. And so when he says exercise dominion, here's what he's saying. Be a steward of creation in such a way that it brings me glory and it seeks the good of the rest of humanity. Where environmentalism does that, seeks to accomplish that, it's a great thing. We can hold our reusable bags with great pride, saying, yes, I'm part of this effort. We want to be good stewards of creation. But we also have to be careful about not going the other direction, and that's moving from stewarding creation to worshiping creation. You see some of that with the the far reaches of environmentalism today. Uh, Just the other day, I came across a bumper sticker, a car in front of me, and in essence, it equated chopping down a tree to cutting off a human life. I think, I was like, that's a little far of a reach there. Christians, people, we are different than the environment. We are called to steward the environment. We are called to enjoy the environment, but we are not called to worship the creation. The creation is meant to worship the creator. When you look at Yosemite and all of its beauty, there should be something in your heart that that not just worships the the rocks and the the waterfalls and the, the streams, but instead it should say, man, there is a God who did this. We are to enjoy creation, not worship it. We are responsible. Next one, number five, I am blessed. Again, in verse 28, there it says, and God blessed them. This is the first word of God blessing humanity. And yet it's a constant theme in the book of Genesis. We're going to see it come up over and over again, over 80 times, in fact, where God blesses people. In this passage, his blessings are abundant. Adam and Eve were blessed to have God's presence. They were blessed with one another. They were blessed with the ability to have children and and multiply and create family and society. And in verse 29, we see they were blessed with everything that they needed. All the provision, verse 29, it says this, And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food. Adam and Eve, humanity, was a very blessed people from the very beginning. As we live in this age now of always wanting more, of always seeking the next best thing, I cannot encourage you enough this morning as we start this year to take note of the blessings that God has given to your life. To realize you are blessed. It doesn't matter who you are in this room. If you look at it, you haven't earned anything. The fact that we have breath in our lungs, the fact that we're in this room, the fact that we have any family, the fact that we have any relationships, each one of those things are a blessing given to us by a very good God. This week I was reminded of this by a friend who is a pastor in Arizona. Over the Christmas break, his wife had been battling cancer, and over Christmas holiday, she ended up passing away of that cancer. He sent a group of us pastors in in a network together, uh, 
a text just saying, hey guys, pray for me. I realized he was trying to pack up his sons to go to Disneyland after his wife had passed away. He said, I just realized that the magic packing fairy for all these years was my wife. Pray for me. It was a reminder. You, you realize the blessings when they're no longer there. Church family, you are a very blessed people in a social media world where we see what everyone else has, where we see where everyone else is vacationing, where we see uh, what everyone else has achieved. I think it's very important that we take the time to stop and say, no, I am blessed. To look at our lives, take note of the small things, the big things. I am blessed. Last but not least, we see this truth. I am designed for relationship with God. Not only am I valuable, not only am I responsible, not only am I blessed, but I am designed to live this life in relationship to God. This is one that can easily be missed, but I hope you won't miss it. Verse 26, God says what? Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Now the scriptures are consistently clear that there is only one God. So when you look at that, what is this let us create in our image? Who's he talking about here? Uh, Some people have suggested maybe he's talking about angels, but nowhere else does it say we're made in the image of angels. No, right here in this verse, let us, it's the starting point for the scripture's revelation that our eternal God who is one is eternally existent in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so in this text, you see the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working together in perfect unity to create us in His image. Now, I realize that may be a lot to get your head around this morning, the Trinity. I understand that. But my point in telling you this is this. The fact that we as humanity are made in God's image means that we are relational. We are designed to be relational. There's a relational element to who we are. We are designed to be in relationship with one another, but even more than that this morning, we are designed to be in relationship with the God who created us. That's what we see here in the very beginning of the text. Upon their creation, Adam and Eve had this perfect relationship. As we're going to see in a couple weeks, because they chose to go against God's commandments, because they chose to sin, there was a break in that relationship. No longer were they holy. No longer were they set apart. They were marred by sin. And so an unholy people cannot be in the presence of a holy God, which means there had to be a separation. Well, the same is true of each one of us. We were designed to have this relationship with God, but each one of us, the Bible says, has sinned. In big ways and small ways, we have chosen to do what we wanted to do instead of regarding what God's called us to do. We've ignored His commands or just blatantly disobeyed His commands. And the result is we have sin. Our hearts are stained with sin. And there's a separation between us and God. This is why many of us wander through life without meaning. Searching for identity, searching for contentment, searching for joy. It feels like there's a hole that needs to be filled. Friends, that hole is a relationship with God. But the amazing message of the Bible, the rest of this scripture, is that not only did God create us, But God did everything necessary to restore us back into that relationship with him. It's amazing. The rest of the pages of the Bible from Genesis on are God's work of restoring humanity to himself. He knew that no sinful human could bridge the gap between us and God. And so what does it say? He came himself. 
He sent his son. John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. You see, Jesus went to the cross so that you could be restored into this relationship you were created for. I wonder how many of you walked into this room feeling that there was something missing in your life. I'm telling you, it's this relationship. But you couldn't make a way to restore it. Jesus had to do it. Jesus came and he died on the cross to take away your sin. On the cross, he took upon himself everything that we deserve, separation from God, punishment, death. He took that upon himself so that you could be forgiven, so that you could be brought back into this relationship with him. But friends, it's not automatic. God says that that if you believe in his son, you will receive eternal life. You will receive this relationship that you created for. What that means is we have to put our trust in him. We have to turn from our sin, what the Bible calls repentance. We have to turn from doing our own thing, being our own kings, and we have to say, Jesus, I need you. I need the forgiveness that only you can bring. It's only when we take that step of trusting in Jesus that we enter into this relationship with which we were created for. And I'm just telling you, friend, this relationship changes everything. It doesn't make your life happy. It doesn't mean you're going to automatically be happy and wealthy and all those other things. But for the rest of your life, you will have the God who created you, empowering you, changing you from the inside out. Until the moment when each one of us stands before our Creator. In that moment, you will stand before the Creator at the end of your time. You will give an account for your life. And in that moment, friend, you will either be standing in your sin with the result that that separation you had between you and God on this earth, that it just extends for eternity. Or you will stand in Jesus. You will stand in the forgiveness that he brought because you put your trust in him. And that relationship you enjoyed in this life, you will have a perfected relationship with him for all of time. See, Genesis 1 tells each one of us who we are. You are created by God. You are distinct from everything else in all of creation. You are valuable. You are responsible. You are blessed. And you are made for relationship with him. My question as we close is simply this. Do you have this relationship with your creator? Do you know him? Not just do you know about him. Not just have you been in church a long time. Do you know the living God? Has he changed you? It's impossible to enter into a relationship with God and not be changed. He is the same God that spoke all things into existence. When he enters your life, he changes all things. Do you know him? For those of you that do not know him this morning, I want you to know you can. And it comes simply by putting your faith in Jesus Christ, by turning from your sin and trusting in him. But for those of you that do know him, here's the question. Are you living your life out of that identity are you are you walking with god in such a way that you are reflecting him that you are representing him in the way that you live your life if i were to ask the people that work closest to you that live closest to you hey do they reflect the god who created them what would they say are you secure in the value and love and worth that he's ascribed to you is that your identity or do you depend on other people to give you your identity 
Are you grateful for the blessings that he's given? Are you stewarding them for his purposes? And most important, are you joining with all of creation and worshiping this one true God who has created you? Friend, you are made to worship. You're going to worship something. It's going to be a created thing or it's going to be the creator. You are made to worship the creator. 